like my latest if someone says well where are you from i'm like toronto you know i'm canadian and then i see where they go with that This is So What Are You? They don't have just one culture. So even if you say you're born here, where are you actually from? He's not even speaking Pato. I mean, I know what that is. How do I recover? Make the food. Why aren't you curious? Why doesn't anyone want to know? A six-part series that explores our complex relationships to our cultural identities. I'm Melissa Houghton. At the start of this episode, you heard the voice of Ola Matsuka. She's the creator of an amazing platform and podcast for creatives in Toronto and beyond called Sonic Fold. I met Ola for the first time in 2019 at a program for independent podcasters in Toronto. She mentioned that she had a unique story that she'd be interested in sharing about her cultural heritage. And you'll hear more about that in the next episode. But today we're gonna talk about Toronto. And as Ola mentioned, She's often asked where she's from and what her cultural background is. And it's this line of questioning that inspired this podcast overall. So let's dive into it. In this episode, we're going to talk about Toronto, the city where it kind of feels like hearing the so where are you from question is as common as people asking you what time it is. It's true. Toronto is one of the most multicultural cities in the world. We're blessed to be in a place where so much of the world exists, especially if you're someone who likes food like I do. Now, where we fail is often pretending that the city exists as some kind of post-racial utopia. As income inequity grows and gentrification runs rampant, it's becoming increasingly clear that the city does not serve all of its residents in the same ways. But many of us have grown up with people from a variety of cultural backgrounds. But the thing is, what do we do when this understanding morphs into a kind of overfamiliarity? And what happens when a city becomes globally recognized, but only some of its people profit in the process? Among all the things to criticize though, I just wanted to be reminded of why people love this city in the first place. From perspectives of those who've grown up here all their lives, those who've left and come back, and even those who've come more recently. So I asked a few people for their perspective. What's your relationship to Toronto? Well, Toronto's home. I moved here as a kid uh, when I was about sort of 12 years old with my family. I moved away for a little bit for about, you know, 10, 12 years. And then I made the decision to come back because it, it anchored me. This is Naduk. We also met in the podcasting program where I met Ola. She is the host of the NGO podcast, and we'll hear a bit more about her connection to that field in a subsequent episode. Just to set the scene a little bit, Naduk and I sat in her home near downtown Toronto, overlooking a few new condo developments, as is the way in this city. And we talked about her childhood. She spent time in a lot of countries growing up before her family came to Toronto, and also what it is about this city that made her want to come back as an adult. I also asked my friend Helena, who's an independent filmmaker with an infectious laugh and a strong affinity for overalls. She recently moved to Toronto after spending time in both New York and Mexico. We'll hear more about her story in another episode. But for this one, I wanted to know what she felt as someone who had moved to the city in the last few years. 
I love that there's so many cultures, so many like restaurants. A lot of the population is just like in Europe. You're from somewhere else. And that means that we can share the similarities of our cultures. My good friend Matt, who you might remember from the previous episode dedicated to the suburbs, also weighed in on what makes Toronto special to him. Now the Warriors just inbound and that's it. There's a new NBA champion and it's a team from Toronto, Canada. We the North are now we the champions. What was dope too is like seeing that even the night the Raptors won, seeing all those different cultures celebrate one thing but celebrate that all together, like that was really dope to see too. So we've established how much Toronto's many cultures make it a great place to live. But sometimes the proximity doesn't always translate in the best ways. And surprisingly, I'm thinking of the Caribbean, most notably Jamaican, influence on the city. From things as small as patties being sold in subway stations to the integration of patois in the slang culture of the city. Jamaican culture is by no means the only culture to have influenced the city. Somali culture has has also made a notable influence other Caribbean cultures. I am interested in the broader conversation around cultural exchange and where that can sometimes evolve from give and take into simply just take. Here's my friend Manit's interpretation of this. Manit grew up on the West Coast in British Columbia, so in that way she has a fresh perspective on Toronto's culture. Have you seen this article that's gone kind of viral where it's like, why do South Asian men love Drake so yes, much? Yes. Yes. So this is why I think this is Toronto. Oh. Toronto likes to tote itself as like super multicultural. Everyone kind of borrows from different communities, a Korean community, which is comprised of a lot, like same with the South Asians, comprised of a lot of different smaller minute communities, yeah. but everyone kind of meshes them together and everyone feels like they have equal access to it. Ting, ah, ma, ah, ah, love. So I can't even say the word thing, to be honest. If I have to say thing, it feels so unnatural. I always say ting. And every time I do, people always respond being like, who are you trying to be? I need to just emphasize, this is how Toronto people speak. Ting basically means like, it could be like your boyfriend, your girlfriend, someone you're talking to. I'll give you an example. When Drake posted a picture with me, he said, uh, a Toronto sweeter ting. In case you didn't recognize it, that's the voice of Lily Singh, who is now a late night talk show host in the U.S., but who is originally from Brampton, a city, suburban city outside of Toronto with a large South Asian and Caribbean population. But what I found interesting when watching that video is a... It is for a U.S. publication, which references it as Canadian slang. This is not true. This slang is not used outside of the GTA or the greater Toronto area. And if it is, that's probably because there are people who have taken it there. But secondly, she makes reference to using these words and saying that's how people in Toronto talk, which is also not entirely true. And in no point does she reference the origins of the words, including ting and waste and ute, which are rooted in Caribbean and more specifically often Jamaican Patois. And it's things like this that go a long way to erasing the communities and individuals who actually contribute to the culture. 
I was also curious how both Zimble and Matt felt about Patois making a more mainstream appearance in relation to their own ability to speak it as Canadians of Caribbean descent. It's definitely a moment where everyone takes a piece of Jamaican culture and reinterprets it for themselves and uses it as an access point. You know, it's something that I come across at work, which is also interesting, where I'm like, I feel like awkward, but I'm also like, the infiltration of Jamaican culture into teen culture or popular culture is very interesting in that a lot of Toronto slang is just patois. And I don't even speak patois well. Like, every time I do it, I'm like, like, my ancestors are crying right now. They're so upset. Just also wish that I could, like, speak patois properly <laughs> instead of a uh, watered-down Drake version. Oh, um, <laughs> Lord Jesus. <laughs> I mean, is this going to be like a fire round question? Like, are you going to ask me questions in patois and I have to translate? Or... Like, do I have to speak in Patois? Because, oh, Jesus, I don't want to embarrass myself. Pun the podcast. <laughs> no, there will be no pop quiz. Okay. You're, you're out of the line of fire. But no I am. Popcorn quiz. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> On that note, though, yeah, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like you're good? Do you feel like you could be better? Do you feel like you could be worse? How do you feel? I would say it's good. We're asking my cousins. They're probably laughing. Right? They're probably rolling on the floor right now still. Yeah, I feel like I'm good. But real Jamaicans probably would be like, no, he's like, he's not even speaking Pato. I mean, I know what that is, but. <laughs> Many of us with Caribbean heritage in Toronto do feel more ownership, I would say, of Patois compared to those who simply think words like you and forward came from Drake's More Life album. We heard from my friend Zoe in the previous episode as she talked about her experience in trying to retain her Caribbean culture after moving to Canada in her late teens. So I wanted to hear from Zoe on how she felt about folks like me who are of Caribbean descent and who are interacting with the culture in the Toronto specific context. My honest reaction is like, this is appropriative and I hate it. The way that I digest it is that like, I get it and I accept it if you're West Indian, of West Indian descent, right? If you are <laughs> Drake, <laughs> okay. If you are not of West Indian descent and you are appropriating Patois and all of these things, right? The culture, the language, that's very annoying to me. It's like multifaceted, you understand? Because on the one hand, it's like, yo, big up Jamaica. We're everywhere. On the next hand, it's like, okay, what about the rest islands? On the next hand, it's like, what happens when it doesn't feel like it's connected to home anymore? Why does it feel disjointed from Caribbean carnival? Like, why? What does it mean when the people who are putting it on haven't gone home in like 40 years? I don't know. Like, I guess that's just the problem of diaspora. Now, I wasn't exactly surprised by Zoe's response, but it was an important reminder. Whether we like it or not, as a first-generation Canadian, 
with Caribbean heritage, I'm still Canadian. And while a little while ago it would have made me sad, it's simply facts and not something that makes a person better or worse. Especially when we're not the ones who chose where we were born or under what circumstances. More than anything though, I think it's important to acknowledge that those of us who were born outside of our cultural homelands should be able to explore our own cultures, but also not in a way that erases the experience of current residents. And also with an understanding that we can't and don't necessarily share the same touch points and experiences as those who were born and raised there. I think it's a gentle reminder that our experiences don't exist in a vacuum. And as much as we might be on a journey of self-discovery, we also have to keep our minds open to listening to and learning from others. And in that way, I'm so grateful for Zoe's perspective. Okay, y'all, if you really thought we'd make it through an episode on Toronto without referencing Drake, I have bad news for you. But like, also, did you really think that would happen? Anyways, we're not here to debate the merits of his artistry, but we are here to talk about where he fits in with regards to how Toronto's culture and the people who've influenced it are understood. We heard from B Kwame over the past couple of episodes. She's a writer and media personality of Jamaican descent who frequently discusses matters involving the Caribbean diaspora in Canada. So it's no surprise that she had some things to say about Champagne Poppy himself. It's really interesting, especially being in Toronto, because... You know, I see this discussion across the border as it relates to Drake and as it relates to, especially now with like the Raptors on the map now, right? And people trying to figure out and understand, okay, what's going on in this place? Like there's actually things happening and there are black people doing stuff. And what happens is because, and we'll use Drake as an example, and you know, you can track his his catalog and kind of see the evolution and the shift of where now he's much more comfortable with referencing Toronto and using different kind of like Toronto-based slang, which is based in, you know, Jamaican Patois majority of the time. But people will point out, well, Drake is actually, his mom is white Jewish and his dad is black American from the South. So he doesn't have any real cultural touchstone to Jamaica or to the Caribbean itself. And what that does in an interesting way is on one hand, hand, it creates a free-for-all. Well, if Drake can say Wagwan and Mandem, why can't I, this dude from New Jersey, say it, right? But then on the other hand, you have people who then start getting like protective of it because it's like, well, actually, you don't have the cultural reference for what you are saying, but it gets murky because then like you're able to touch things in, in a society and, and a city like Toronto where you have that proximity to other people and then it just gets ingrained. You hear your Jamaican friends saying stuff. You hear like your Somali friends saying stuff and then it just starts to flow into your lexicon right and it's not like a lot of people are trying to put on and say okay this is how the cool people are talking so I have to talk like that I can see where it happens very naturally but I think what I have found is with that over familiarity on a surface level because that's where I find I find it just stays at the surface you don't find a lot of people who are trying to get familiar with the history or what's underneath all of these things Even though there are a lot of conversations to be had in Toronto about the city's use and understanding of Caribbean culture, Zoe thinks there are much needed conversations to be had in the Caribbean as well. 
in the West Indies, we don't necessarily see our languages as separate languages from English. Like we see it as like a slang thing or like a dialect. My personal thing is that I feel like they are separate languages. They have like language structure. They have grammar structure. There's a way you can speak Creole and Patois correctly. And there's a way you can speak it incorrectly because they have grammar rules. And so the idea that like if Caribbean people have not gotten to the point where we, we can claim our own language as our own, I don't know if, if like it should be exported. I don't know if it should be like mixed up within other people because I feel like, I mean, and again, this is not necessarily like speaking to Toronto. This is more speaking to like us as islands. Like I feel like we need to grasp our sense of identity better or like claim our languages more and also like yeah i feel like we need to as west indian people like we need to be proud of the way that we talk because i feel like that's how you keep those traditions alive you've got to practice them and perfect them so that the next generation can be aware of them learn them and then pass that on as well you know I just want to see that Caribbean culture is more widely respected, not just for what people can get from it as far as the fun experience and the vacation and, you know, it's like an escape from life because there are people who play mass and escape from life for a day and then the next day they go back to their real ass life as a black person from the Caribbean or as of Caribbean descent who's dealing with whatever they're dealing with in their lives. So I want to see us move away from this idea of the Caribbean is like this fantasy. It works in tourism because yeah then you get people to come down to the island and they spend their week and they love it but i feel like that also helps to create this surface level understanding in the end it's all about creating a culture of respect which like zoe says has to start in the islands and which matt and b agree needs to expand into the diaspora and to the people who consider themselves lovers of caribbean culture And before we end this episode, I want to leave you with some final thoughts from Naduk as a reminder that for all of its faults, Toronto really is a place that is made great thanks to its people. So we've reached the final question, which is just, do you have anything else that you want to add or? I think it's important to share these sorts of stories with people that live in the city and for us to hear each other's stories. As I said, you know, Toronto is an amazing, amazing city to be able to do that. There's very few other cities, I think, in the world that have this degree of diversity in such a small place. And on the next episode, we hear from people whose cultures don't fit into the neat boxes that we're often told that they need to go in. So What Are You was produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Melissa Houghton, with music from Fugue, Ryan Little, Silent Partner, Katza, Himalaya, and Dural. For more information about this series and to see links to some of the things I mentioned, you can visit my website, which is melissahaughton.com. That's M-E-L-I-S-S-A-H-A-U-G-H-T-O-N.com. If you're enjoying the series, please leave a review and tell your homies. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Melissa H-A-U-T-E. Thanks for listening.